Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. Well, how's it going, everybody? I'm really excited to be preaching to you today, actually on the topic of women in ministry. And I want to journey through Jesus' impact on the planet and the difference that he made in the lives of people, and specifically the impact that he made in the lives of the women that he came into contact with. The Bible says in Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be done. Who knows that when you have the Son of God at your house, uh, you're going to do some preparations to make sure that it goes really well. She came to Jesus and asked, the Bible says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to come and help me. Verse 41, and I think the tone with which she used her voice, used her name, would have been like this. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Father, today we ask that you speak to us, be with us. God, encourage us today. Father, illuminate from the text what it is that you want us to see and hear, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I was um, talking to a friend some time ago, actually, and I said to him, I said, oh, how's your Bible reading going? What are you reading in the scriptures? And he looked at me, he said, oh, at the moment, I'm locked in on the gospels. And I was like, great. He said, in fact, that's all I ever read. And, and I was like, you know, you know, I was kind of silent. You know, I was like, oh, you know, okay. And he's like, to be honest with you, if we want to focus our faith on Jesus, why do we even need the Old Testament? And I was like, it was getting worse and worse as the conversation went on. And he, he doubled down, as you might say, on the fact that if we're going to read our Bible and learn about Jesus, why not start and end in the Gospels? I kind of shuffled nervously in my seat. At the time, I, I, I thought it was silly. At the time, I jumped in my car and drove home. I thought, man, what a funny meeting that was. But I must admit, in the last year or two, I haven't stopped thinking about that meeting. I haven't stopped thinking about his perspective of the Bible. I haven't stopped thinking about the fact that for you and me in our church, that we get the privilege of seeing new people come to faith. It can't be overlooked how special that is, that the great miracle of salvation is the greatest miracle of our time. That when we see someone who's away from God be brought into a relationship with him, that when I get the chance or our team, our staff, our leaders, get the chance to sit down with what we might describe as new converts, new people to the faith, baby Christians, that when I sit down and I bring this leather-bound Bible, the 66 books in one, and they ask me, man, where should I start? Ironically, I encourage them to start exactly where this person told me he was reading, which is in the Gospels. I'll say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'll say, read the Psalms. Uh, Hugo, my son, says, and he says, every day, he eats. So Hugo, seriously? Like, seriously? Probably eats four or five apples a day. And every time he eats one, he walks into the kitchen, he grabs an apple and says, hey, Dad, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> and someone once said to me, a proverb a day keeps the doctor away. The Gospels, the Psalms, the Proverbs. But from there, don't we mature? 
From there, don't we, don't we read from the Gospels? Don't we go further than that? The writings of Paul, the, the New Testament writers. Don't we read the Old Testament and get a feel of Judeo-Christian values? Don't we go further than the Gospels? I never forget that one of the first times I met Caleb Gronawag. I was so stoked to meet another Old Testament lover. I love the Old Testament. I love its mystery. I love its poetry. I love its allegory. I love its historical writings. I love the Old Testament. Jaden recently has been reading a plan that has him reading the Old and New Testament in partnership to see the similarities. He'll be reading the book of Romans, maybe partnered with the book of Leviticus or the book of Exodus. And he'll, he'll text me saying, bro, look at these similarities. Look at these parallels. We encourage new believers to read about Jesus. We encourage them to start in the Gospels, but surely we encourage more than that as they mature. But interestingly enough, don't we then encourage ourselves to circle back to truly what's important? Because without the Gospels, without the birth, the life, the passion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we don't have Christianity. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. If God wanted us to only read the Gospels, he probably would have only written the Gospels. He's given us so much more than that to give us a clearer picture of our Christian faith. I mean, Christmas is coming up and we're going to be speaking for three weeks on a God who came close. We're going to talk about the Father who came close, Jesus the Son who came close, and the Holy Spirit who came close across three weeks in the lead up to Christmas Eve. And then at Easter, we'll preach on the most incredible sacrifice about a God who paid the ultimate price. I recently read that J.K. Rowling was quoted in saying that if you knew me, if you read the scriptures, you would know that the, the penultimate and ultimate books in Harry Potter, the Deathly Hallows part one and part two, she said you would know what was going to happen. In other words, if you know the Christian faith, you know that there's a sacrificial hero that gives his life and is resurrected to strike the ultimate blow against evil. So for us, it is important to look at his life the life of Jesus, to see what he said and ask ourselves simple questions like this. What did what he say and what he did, what impact has that had on me? Andy Stanley says that Jesus is the clearest picture of God that we have. Eugene Peterson wrote that God put on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. T.D. Jakes preached and said that Jesus got changed in the dressing womb of Mary. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ, all of the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, This Christian life is a great mystery. <laughs> Amen. That might be the truest thing I say all day. This Christian life is a great mystery, far exceeding our understanding. But some things are clear enough, the Bible says. He appeared in human body, was proved right by the invisible spirit, was seen by angels, was proclaimed among all kinds of peoples, believed in all over the world, and taken up into heavenly glory. One more time. 1 Timothy 3.16. This Christian life is a great mystery, far exceeding our understanding. But some things are clear enough. He appeared in human form, was proved right by the invisible spirit, and was seen by angels. The King James says... God manifested in the flesh. Here is my initial point, and it's not so much a point you should write down, but a point that, as a part of my intro here today, I want you to be thinking about as we move on. My point is simply this. God came to the earth. 
Have you ever seen, uh, look, I'm giggling now because Jaden's just to, just to the left of the camera as I look at it. And I'm thinking about the time that he preached for like weeks on end on um, Disney princesses. He preached on it one time, but then it like came up for weeks and weeks and weeks. And when in doubt, at local church, when in doubt, when in a theological conundrum, look to Disney. <laughs> Amen. Have you ever seen the movie Aladdin? One of the greats. There's this great line that Robin Williams as the genie in one of his great performances. He, uses, he says this line. It says this. It's all part and parcel of the whole genie gig. Phenomenal cosmic powers, itty bitty living space. He says it's all part of being a genie. Phenomenal, it is like phenomenal cosmic powers. Itty bitty living space. Phenomenal cosmic powers, that's Jesus. Itty bitty living space in a human body. That if there was ever a being who had phenomenal cosmic powers, it's our creative God. It's his son, Jesus, born into an itty bitty living space, a human body. So what did he do? What did he say? What did he reinforce in his life? And I guess in short, more importantly, what did he change? I think when you look at the life and teaching of Jesus, you see that he reinforced the redemptive plan of God. I think you find that he reinforced heaven and reinforced hell. I think you find that he reinforced marriage, the sanctity and importance of marriage. I think you'll find that he reinforced family and prayer and work and wisdom and money and stewardship. I think you'll find he reinforced those things. Ephesians 2.14, though, says this, He destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Speaking of the barrier that exists between us and God, He destroyed it. But He destroyed more than that. Other barriers in society. He broke down norms and much of tradition and things that stood at that time. Let's take a minute to explore some of the things that He changed. He came to reach the Jew, the Bible says. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Another translation says, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. He came to reach the Jew, but he came to reach the Gentile. This is big news. A huge shift in the expansive message of the good news of Jesus was not just for the people of God, the Jews, but for the Gentiles, those beyond. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes in it, first to the Jew, then to the first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Big moves, big statements, big vibe. He came to reach not only the Jew, the Gentile, but he came to reach everybody. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. A John 3.16 Christian. That's what I am. That's what Rick Warren says. That for God so loved the world, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish. That when you think about Jesus, he came to Jerusalem, which was really, in all of the places he could be in all the world, that in this, in this place called Jerusalem, where he did much of his ministry, that this was a, a city, a space, towns and villages that bordered on four continents, that bordered on the ancient Near East or the Middle East as we know it, Africa, the Asian continent and bordered on Europe, that what a place that he would be to see the message of Jesus, the good news of his resurrection, be expansive throughout the world. Imagine if he came to Ottawa. Where to from here? There's a, only one way from here in those day and ages. Maybe you would go from Ottawa, maybe you would go west, a little bit east, but primarily to reach a new people group, you would go south. 
Oh, I was born in New Zealand. Where to from there? <laughs> on a rowboat over to Hawaii. Hello, yes, please. Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, Australia, they need Jesus. But to be where he went to break down the wall of hostility in four major continents, the expansive growth of the gospel would be impressive during this time. That he came to reach our Asian brothers and sisters. This cannot be overlooked. Romans 16 verse 5 says, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. I used to read Romans 16 and think, this is boring. Paul's just greeting people. And I used to wonder why he didn't just do it in Romans 1. Why, why did he save the greetings till the end? And maybe that was tradition at the time. But in verse 5 in Romans 16, he says, Greet Epinetus, who we believe might even be a woman, the first convert in all of Asia. We read about her in Romans 16 and verse 5, that from there, the gospel would be like a wildfire through that continent. And we read here about the first convert, that the impact and ministry of Jesus was to reach our Asian brothers and sisters. We read in the book of Acts chapter 8 and verse 38 that Jesus came to reach our black brothers and sisters. That the Bible says that he gave orders to stop the chariot. This is speaking of an Ethiopian man. Then both Philip and the Ethiopian went down into the water and Philip baptized him. We're not sure if this is the first man from the continent of Africa to be baptized, but one thing we are for certain. Not only did Jesus come to reach the Jews, the Gentiles, everybody, but within that specific ethnic groups have been reached through the ministry of Jesus Christ. Luke 10 verse 25 talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan. That this is a transcendent story. You could ask anybody, agnostic, atheist, someone who's not walking with Jesus, and you could ask them, what, what does the word Samaritan mean to you? They might scratch their head and go, oh, that reminds me of the story of the Good Samaritan. Samaritans at the time were not good, but Jesus trying to elevate a whole people group. He said there was a man that you know, was on the side of the road needed help. And a Levite walked past, and a priest walked past, and then a Samaritan walked past, and the Samaritan went over and above. What a moment for Jesus to elevate a whole people group. That he came to reach the Jew, the Gentile, everybody, our Asian brothers and sisters, our black brothers and sisters. He came to lift a people group, the Samaritans. The Bible says in Matthew eleven nineteen, stick with me today, that the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus came to lift tax collectors and sinners out of their disparate separation from God. Hebrews 10, 14 says, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Friends, in short, Jesus gave dignity to every person he came across. Jesus gave dignity to every person he came across. Today, I want to explore what this meant for women. Let's firstly explore the historical context for women because I think it would really help us to read the scriptures through who wrote it and who their authors were writing it to at that time. We've got to understand that specifically in the ancient Near East, in the times of Jesus, that it was a male-dominated society that the firstborn son was the goal, that he would be strong, that he could work, that he could protect, and, and more importantly, he could continue the family name. To have no family name meant to have no legacy. To have no legacy was to be forgotten, and that, my friends, in this time was worse than death. Women were not educated, sadly. 
Women were not involved in religious training. Women did not own property. Women had no rights outside of their relationship with their husband. They had no marital rights or authority in the home. And marriage was the primary viable option for women in this time. But through the elevation, it's interesting, uh, uh, the, through the elevation of the birth of sin through Eve and the birth of Jesus through Mary, we see this polarizing issue that can be the view of women and the Bible. Let's simply look at the life of Jesus today. Let's look at his life. Let's see how he dealt with women. Let's see who he came across. Let's see how he treated them. Let's see what he did and try and take our lead from him. If you're taking notes today, you could write this down. The first thing I would say about what Jesus did in the lives of the woman that he came across, number one is this, Jesus acknowledged women. He acknowledged them. In our opening passage, we see a simple interaction between Jesus and two women. The Bible says that it's a house, the house of Martha. We don't read in the Bible that Martha is married. We would normally assume that she was, and we would certainly read about her husband. But in this particular scenario, we don't read that she's married, so we might infer that she's not. She's got a sister whose name is Mary, popular name at the time. It's an often overlooked story, but I do believe that today for us, it is littered with meaning and purpose. One more time, it says this. Luke 10, 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her house to him. This is big time. Martha invited Jesus in. And note this, Jesus received her invitation. That Martha opened up her home and he acknowledged her hospitality and allowed her to be a host for his teaching. In the ancient Near East at this time, we don't have church buildings as we understand them, like this beautiful building that we're in. We had temples, we had pagan temples and different kind of synagogues and temples, but in terms of Christian church buildings as we understand them, they didn't exist. We didn't have buildings like the one that we're standing in today as we understand those. To start the church, you needed at the time to start a church in Jerusalem or different parts of Asia, at the, at the top of Africa or Europe, you needed 10 Jewish families to start a gathering which would be a church. Gatherings were held in homes under candlelight under the supervision of the host with food and drink. This is a powerful moment where Jesus acknowledges a woman for hosting him and his teaching in a very male-dominated environment. Women by Jesus, we can see, are treated with dignity and respect counterculture at that time. We can read about other scenarios where Jesus had interactions with women, the woman in the issue of blood, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, Jesus' interaction with his mom at the wedding in John 2, the wedding at Cana, the chronological first miracle. We can read about the interaction between Jesus and Mary Magdalene, the first one, Matthew 16, verse 9, where he cast out seven demons from Mary Magdalene. As we go through the scriptures, and I encourage you to read in your own time, you won't find Jesus speaking down to women. You won't find a snooty, pious, aloof, a pharisaical religious leader putting women in their place, so to speak. You will find a son of God full of empathy, kindness, and love, lifting women from their position in society and giving them dignity and acknowledging them, quite simply. The woman with the issue of blood, she crawls through the crowd and grabs the, the edge, the, 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 the very hem of his garment, and she's healed. 
Who touched me, he said. Stand up, woman. Your faith has healed you. A conversation with the woman at the well. He's sitting there at the well. A friend of mine preached a sermon entitled, Well, Well, Well. He goes on to say that the well, that's Jesus, was sitting on a well, talking with this woman about the, the water of life and about a, a river that's flowing, speaking of himself. She begins to lie to him. He hears her out and then reads her mail. And her, her reaction and interaction with him is so life-changing that she goes on and begins to preach and sees a whole town, a whole town, a whole town saved. We to, to see the woman caught in adultery and we see uh, at the time, uh, if you caught in adultery, it was the law that both the, the man who committed adultery and the woman that he committed it with would both be stoned. But we find that the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus and didn't bring both man and woman, just the woman. Jesus understood what was happening. And rather than um, stoning the woman or commanding that she be stoned, he said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. No doubt the man who was a part of this trap to trap this woman and trap Jesus was there that day trying to figure out what would happen with him knowing that he was guilty. And Jesus said, if we're not going to bring justice to this man and this woman, I'm reading between the lines here, that there'll be no justice done here today. Woman, go and sin no more. There's much language that you could use to describe what he actually said to her. Stop it. Don't do that. But he simply said in love, don't go and sin no more. We look at the interaction between Jesus and his mum, John 2, the wedding at Cana. They ran out of wine. What a disgraceful moment. But we see Jesus looking at uh, uh, his mum. We see his mum speaking to the servants. And, the serv and she says to the servant, she says, listen to what he has to say. Do what he says, in other words. I don't know about you, but in most interactions I've had with my mum, she has the last word. That anyone I know that's got a healthy relationship with their mum, when mum says something, it goes. You might be 35, 45 years old. You might be 25 and haven't lived at home for seven years. But when mum says go, you go. When mum says stop, you stop. And when mum looks at your friends, the son of God's mum, and he says, yeah, he's going to sort it out. That he probably wasn't even ready, probably wasn't even concerned, probably wasn't even interested in making a difference that day with water to wine. But as soon as mum said so, acknowledgement. Seven demons he cast out of Mary Magdalene, personally. Let it not be lost on us that Jesus never spoke down to women in any of these scenarios. Gentle, kind, humble, dignified. My opening point is simple. He acknowledged women. For us at this time, uh, we might go, yeah, well, that's great, Levi. At, at minimum, he should acknowledge women. And then move on. What, what else are we preaching here today? But understand this. At that time, for a man, for a rabbi, a religious teacher, for a deity, the one true God, to even acknowledge women, many women from different ethnic groups, this is not something that would have been smiled upon by other people in the society at this time. This was huge. It was not only foreign, but understand today, my point is this, is that it was counter-cultural to the time. He acknowledged women. Next, if you're taking notes, he didn't just acknowledge women, he honored their identity. He honored their identity. The Bible goes on to say that he's at a house, the house is Martha's, and she opens up the house and she's distracted and she's kind of doing the prep and comes and says, Jesus, Mary's you know, over here, can't you get her to help me? And then the Bible goes on to say in verse 41, note this, this is simple. He says two words. He says, Martha, Martha. 
Martha, Martha. What is this? Batman versus Superman? He says, Martha, Martha. Simply here, we see Jesus honoring her. He knows her name. He has a relationship with her. Someone once wrote that someone's name is the sweetest word in the English language. Dare I say, it's the sweetest word in any language. That when you're walking down your, the street and you hear your name, you hear your name called out, you walk into a room, you hear your name called, there's something special that takes place. Jesus understands this. He knows her name. He knows the host's name. Again, you might go, Levi, come on now. Just acknowledgement of woman, just the fact he knows her name. This is big time at this time. It's important for us to note that it's not recorded that Martha had a husband, but Jesus is not referring to her in reference in light of the fact that she's married, but as her own autonomous being that has value and identity, Imago Dei. This was not common. I believe that it was no coincidence that Jesus was in her house under these circumstances on this day. And Jesus spoke about this issue, this issue of singleness, this issue that provided women with a life of their own, separate to a man, uncommon at the time. But Jesus spoke very clearly. The book in Matthew 19, it says this, verse 3 to 11, some Pharisees come to him to test him, standard. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? <laughs> like, this is just, this cracks me up. What are these guys? These guys might as well just say, they might as well just be honest and say, hey man, look, we're promiscuous and we want to just sleep around and we want to be able to just divorce a wife. And Andy Stanley says that in this time, most people were one bad decision away from slavery. That people were viewed for their economic value. And for a woman whose value is in marriage, that she's one bad moment, one divorce away from being nothing. Economic value lost. How is she then going to get value back in her life, become a slave? That was the picture that we need to understand is happening. Look through the lens of the historical context of what's taking place at this time. So the, the Pharisees are like, hey man, can we divorce a wife, a woman for any and every reason? Any and every? Come on, man, where's your commitment? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined, let no one separate. He's reinforcing marriage. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man may give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Verse 8, Jesus, top dog, says this. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it is not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and on the, on, the, on the part of the woman in this context, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Verse 10, the disciples said to him, <laughs> I love these guys. Remember, I feel like we've got to understand. It was just the other day these guys were fishermen, tax collectors, just regular people. Now they're following this rabbi. They were going to change the world, but they're right in the, this tension of the two. If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. <laughs> Wait a minute. The Pharisees are like, hey, yo, Jesus, can, can a man divorce his wife for any other reason? And he goes, no, you can't. Like, let's lift the standard. Marriage is beautiful. If she commits adultery, if there's an extramarital affair, there's a, there's, a, there's a reason here to move on. But unless it's that, it's adultery. And then they walk off, and then the disciples are like, man, bro, you're raising the standard here of marriage. Might as well not get married. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, 
but only those with whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs who are born, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And note this here today. This is, I think, really important. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. The one who can accept this should accept it. A eunuch was someone who had been, um, okay, picture two rocks, picture male genitals, I'm sorry, clang, clang, eunuch. Okay, so a eunuch is someone who didn't have, was a man who had had his male genitals removed. He's a eunuch. The Bible goes on to say that there are eunuchs who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. In other words, Jesus is opening up here this incredible moment for us to understand that we can live as single people, not in marriage, and have our own identity secure in Him, serving the kingdom, separate to, and for women specifically, separate to the marriage to a man. Singleness was not something that was a major pillar of society at that time. And Jesus, and then the writings of Paul, give new significance to this issue. 1 Corinthians 7.27 says, Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Amen, that's good. If you're engaged, lock in, man. Are you free from such a commitment? Well, then do not look for a wife. Wow. That's new. This is new stuff. This is groundbreaking writing. But if you do not marry, you have not sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in life. Okay, thanks for that. I didn't read this before I got married, just so you know. And I want to spare you this. Okay, thank you. It was like probably information I should have read 16 years ago. Verse 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if a husband dies, she is free to marry anyone that she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. Interesting. Verse 40. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Remember, Jesus, okay, so let's talk about being single. Jesus, single. The Apostle Paul, single. Both now writing about the, the efficacy of singleness. And the Apostle Paul now saying, saying in my judgment, writing here, she's happier if she stays as she is, not married. And I too have the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, you can be single and have the Spirit of God. He goes on to say, those who get married focus on the issues of the world. But those who stay, stink, stay single focus on the issues of the kingdom, giving a whole new light to women separate to marriage. I'm not here advocating that if you're single, stay single. That's not what I'm saying. I'm also not advocating that if you're single, you have to get married. But what was the popular narrative at the time was the only way for you to move forward in your life, woman, was to be married. And Jesus and Paul are saying that's no longer the case. Don't necessarily look for a commitment, they say. Yet you'll be happy if you don't remarry, they say. There are those who choose to live like a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom, they say. Jesus gave significance and importance to women in their identity separate to men. Really important. He gave an alternative to marriage. A life where life was possible outside of the traditional norms. Jesus honored, he honored the image an identity of a woman as it is and not as people at the time wanted it to be. Number three, if you're taking notes, Jesus not only acknowledged them, he didn't just um, uh, honor their identity, but he invited women into his ministry. He invited women into his ministry. The first two points I've made today have been overarching generic archways and umbrellas 
for women in our church and women who are online listening to understand what God thinks about you. He acknowledges you. He honors you. He loves you. He, he dignifies and gives identity to you, just like he does to me. But this next point is specific in relation to his change, his, the movement with which he wanted to invite women into his ministry who weren't invited to this point. Luke 10, 38 through 42, verse 41 says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. He goes on to say this. This is really important, verse 42. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Don't you love that? Few things are needed. Actually, actually just one thing's needed. And Mary has chosen what is better. When we bought our home that we currently live in, when you walked in through the front door, it was a traditional like 1950s home, post-World War II boom, and a lot of homes being built at that time. And when you walked in through the main door, on the right-hand side currently is the kitchen. And if you've been to my house, if you haven't, I'd love for you to come. If, you have, if you've been to my house, you'll know that when you walk into the, the front door, there's a big living space with Nadi's big marble table. There's like a sort of like an adult's living room um, straight ahead through the archway. But on the right is like a big open kitchen. Um, you know, it's a really cool black-on-black -black kitchen, good vibes. And uh, it's got good flow. You can be in the kitchen and you can flow into the dining room, flow to the adult's lounge, flow to the three-season. It's good, good, good things happening in my house. When we first bought the house, the first wall that I knocked down, it was like a false wall. It was a, a set of cabinets that went floor to ceiling, looked like a wall was um, the first thing I did when I, when I got confirmation from the lawyer that I, the ownership papers had been transitioned to my name. I took a sledgehammer and, and smashed down that wall. And it was so funny because it was like a, um, a nod towards the fact that in my house, I'm really not interested in these um, old school traditional norms because the wall that separated the kitchen from the living space or from the dining room um, had a servery like a pass-through where you could just imagine in the 50s, and to get to the kitchen, you had to walk around through the, the hallway to get into the kitchen. It was like a bit of an ordeal, a little bit cumbersome. But if you put yourself in that time, the woman primarily spent all of her time in the kitchen. That her job was giving birth to kids, raising those kids, um, homemaking, so to speak, and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with these things. I'm not throwing shade and saying that it's a bad idea. I'm just saying that it's a very traditional notion. And so why not just put a wall in between the woman so she can just do her job and the man and the rest of the family. And when I want food, it'll just be passed through. For Nadia and I, I was like, well, the first thing that needs to go is that wall, even as a subconscious breakdown of a barrier to say, no, 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 we're not going to just accept these traditional cultural norms. And so, no, 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 it, there needs to be an open flow. There needs to be an opportunity for anyone to be in that kitchen and be a part of what's happening in the rest of the house. We have this moment here where... Mary is in the house with Martha, and Martha's in the kitchen. 2,000 years ago, doing, and I quote, what women do, which is prepare the food. And there's nothing wrong with that. She's in there preparing the food and comes out and says, Jesus, I'm doing all this prep, and Martha's in here with you. The Bible says about Martha, a few verses earlier, it says that Martha sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. There's a, there's a Greek word there which we translate as leisure, which actually means giving someone leisure or space to study. The leisure to study is, is the concept that we read here that's at play. And Mary's at the feet of Jesus, given the leisure to study. 
She has been invited into the male space, the male-dominated space, to sit at the feet of her rabbi and learn what he has to say. She was listening to him, to his teaching. Remember, in this home church kind of environment, and Jesus says to Martha, few things are needed, or indeed just one. Just one thing's important, Martha, and Mary has chosen what is better. In other words, Martha, I'm trying to get you to understand that I'm inviting you from what you think you have to do, from what society says you have to do, from what culturally is normal for you to do. And I'm inviting you into a new space, a space dominated historically by men. And I want you to be a part of it. Understand today that the job of a rabbi was to teach. The job of a teacher is to teach. Teachers teach. A teacher teach. A teacher teaches. A preacher preaches. <laughs> what is the phrase? A teacher tells it. A preacher yells it. <laughs> Whatever. A teacher's job is to teach. But his job is to train rabbis. That was the role of a rabbi. Paul trained under Gamaliel. Mary's training under Jesus. And he's inviting Martha to be a part of that, to break down these norms. Again, we ask, what did he reinforce? And what did he change? How can we balance and find his words echoed through the Gospels and through Paul, the writings of the other authors of the New Testament? What can we see in the life of Jesus that brings dignity to women? and invites them into the ministry with him. We see the three Marys through the New Testament, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary the mother of James the Less, Salome, who's often referred to as Mary, the three Marys, Joanna, Susanna, Phoebe, Junia. For some of you today, this might come as a shock, but in many corners of our faith, women are not given this opportunity. Women are not privy to this invitation to preach, teach, pray prophesy, to lead. For many, being a woman has been a disqualification. For 2,000 years, or 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave dignity to women. He liberated them and gave them an opportunity to be involved in the ministry. The invitation of Mary and Martha into the rabbinical teaching of Jesus is an open door for women into religious education. The support of Joanna and Susanna, Philip, the Bible says, has three daughters who prophesied three prophetesses. Romans, 6, uh, Romans 16, as I mentioned earlier, right at the end of Romans, one of the most explosive pieces of literature ever written, that the book of Romans will change your life. The Bible says here in Romans 16 verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church, and Cancrea. That Phoebe, they believe, was the person who he's commending they believed that Phoebe was the person, the messenger, who would take and read the scroll of Romans to all the different home churches. Remember, she's not standing in a room like this saying, all right, everybody, <coughs> let me read you Romans. She's traveling towns and villages to different groups of people who are a part of this resurgent faith. Phoebe, a deacon in the church. Man, what a great example of a woman standing strong in ministry, working, a co-worker with the Apostle Paul. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and give her any help that she may need from you. This is a powerful invitation and a powerful commendation that he's giving. For she has been the benefactor of many people. Note this, including me, the greatest apostle of them all. Number three, Greek Priscilla and Aquila. My co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all of the churches and Gentiles are grateful to them. Verse five. Greet also in the church that meets in their house. Interesting. 
Greet my dear friends Eponidas, who we mentioned a moment ago, the first convert in the province of Asia. Wow. Greet Mary, uh, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding amongst the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. In other words, these guys got saved before me. These guys are top dogs. These guys here, these women here, are outstanding amongst the apostles. To be an apostle in this time, you would have to see Jesus and be commissioned by Jesus and sent out to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Phoebe the deacon, Junior the apostle, Priscilla and Aquila. We've got Mary. We've got uh, Typhena, Tryphosa. We've got all these incredible Persis, who was a mother that worked very hard in the Lord and was like a mother to Paul. We've got all these incredible women through the New Testament partnering with Jesus partnering with the Apostle Paul, invited into the ministry. Julia, Nereus, and his sister, Phoebe the deacon, Junior the apostle. Jesus was providing room for women, a space for them to be involved in the ministry of the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. William Booth would often quote the leader of the Salvation Army, the founder of the Salvation Army, that half of my best men are women. Yongi Cho, the pastor of the largest church in human history in, in Seoul. Interesting enough to think that the first convert in Asia would lead to the largest church in the world and the largest underground movement of churches in the world in China. That he would say, a million member church, and quoted in saying many times, that when people ask him what's the greatest key of growth in your church, he would often say, release women into ministry, release them into their giftings. And lastly, friends, and I do apologize, I've taken a little longer today than I normally would, but I am passionate about this topic and I want to make sure that you know that as a church where we stand. The last thing I would say is this, this is like sneaky point number four, is Jesus protected them. Acknowledged, honored, invited, but he protected. The Bible says this right at the last. It says, um, you know, few things are needed or indeed only one in verse 42. Mary has chosen what is better and note this today. It will not be taken away from her. What a powerful closing statement. That it will not be taken away from her. And women in our church, understand this, it will not be taken away from you. Not by the enemy and not by other people. That you have opportunity, you have invitation, and that it will not be taken away from you. In other words, Jesus is saying, your invitation to be involved is protected. Sure, we need gifting, 100%. Sure, we need character, 100%. We can't just have anybody get up here and preach sermons and pray and prophesy. We want to make sure that we're in line with the scriptures, that we're gifted to do so, even called into leadership. But he said, for those women who are, it won't be taken away. The women of our church, as I close, just understand this. If I'm saying anything today, I hope this is what I'm saying. You are seen by Jesus. You are not invisible. You have identity in him separate to a marriage to a man, that your life has meaning in and of itself, that you are invited into the ministry, that there is a place for you. First Peter 14, I'll close with this, says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. One more time, can I read that to you? Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
women, can I read that to you one more time? And can I read it to you through the lens of everything else that I've said today? Understand this, that each of you should use whatever gift that you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We talk about the five-fold ministry gift, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. That in our church, let me make it abundantly clear that we believe that those ministry gifts, that those ministry roles, praying, prophesying, teaching, leadership, are available to both men and women. And the Bible says that you should use whatever gift that you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. Maybe you're here today and you didn't realize you were dialing into a sermon on women in ministry. Um, maybe you thought you were just dialing in to hear a message about Jesus and about the good news of Christ and how he came to set us free. Well, friend, you did. He came to set us free from all kinds of things that might hold us back, all kinds of oppressive things that might hold us down. And understand that today what he has done for women, he has done for all of us. That he has acknowledged us, honored us, given us identity, set us free, given us an invitation. That for all who call him father, he has given the right to be called sons and daughters. That friend today, you might be away from God, but he has come to bring you close. And so if you're here today, you're saying, I don't know Jesus, I'm away from him, I'm distant from him, then I would love to, before we close, pray a simple prayer to invite you into relationship with Jesus. And so if you're here, friend, and you're, you're away from God, you don't know him, then I would love to today pray this very simple prayer. And so would you mind every person, no matter where you are, would you mind closing your eyes? I'll close mine too, so you won't miss anything. And we'll pray this prayer together, and I believe that in that moment, your whole life can be changed. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Church, love you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in today. All the best. Bless you. And I'll hand back to our MCs today. See you later. We are so glad you joined us for the Local Church Podcast. To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.